Welcome to the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they are dismantling inequity in public education. Calling our meeting to order is Chairman of the Board, Jonathan Santos Silva. Man, you know, every time I hear that song, that music, I know I'm in the right space. You know, I'm Jonathan Santos Silva. This is the Board of Ed. And I can't think of anywhere I'd rather be right now than right here with my co-host and producer, Doc Miller. How's it going, Doc? Oh, things, things are great. I'm with you. That, I, that song gets stuck in my head. <laughs> and, and the wheels on my bus go round and round. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, like you said, I can't, I can't wait for today's show. It's going to be, it's just going to be brilliant. I'm excited. You know, I, I agree with you and it's not because of anything that you or I do, although I think we make a pretty good team, um, yeah. but it's really about, powers. yeah, That's man. <laughs> right? um, but no, it's, it's really about our, our, our board, right? Yes. Our guests. We've got some, amazing guest of the season and today is no different. Uh, we've got Kyle Quadros. He is the, a, a co-founder and the chairman of TILO. Uh, TILO, T-I-L-O. It is a trauma-informed learning organization, you know, oriented to training educators and as well as families on how we um, support our kids better, how we create healthy environments where they heal from trauma and become, you know, healthy, um, healthy, productive young adults, right? And, and they can become, you know, they can manifest success in school and every other aspect of life. Um, I, think, I think today's show should come with a disclaimer though. Kyle is gonna get in your head, right? <laughs> like he's oh, yeah. gonna get in there and mess around a little bit. So, so, so be prepared to, to, to really um, have your mind explored uh, by Kyle, who's just a, a brilliant educator and practitioner. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it, that's so right. And because the, he's talking about brain, brains mm -hmm. and brain development. We all have a brain, I hope. And you know, so when he starts talking about- <laughs> some, of, some of us have more than others. Yeah. Uh, and some people I do question whether, whether it's there or not, but yes, you're right. Right. right yeah. And you know, so he's going to talk about things that, um, uh, the way that trauma impacts young people, how COVID is a form of trauma or the, the response to COVID has been a form of trauma and how it was impacting kids. But you may recognize how it's impacting your children, yourself, your partner. You know, so this is this is real talk. Um, and, you know, and he starts it. He like he comes hot right out of the gate. Our kids aren't broken. Our parents aren't broken. They are products of an environment and context that has led them to be vulnerable and stripped of behaving the way that we deem normal. Which what does that mean anyway? A lot of people are saying, "Oh, I just can't wait to get back to normal." We got a question. Was what we were doing before COVID healthy? Because it might've been normal, but if it wasn't healthy and in line with what we understand with the science of developmental theory, then we should wanna just create a new normal. And that's the opportunity we have now is that we can create a new normal. So if we can talk about this and get this out to as many people and get them thinking differently and get them engaging in this, and honestly, get them pushing back so that we can then have a richer discussion then that, that should be the goal, right? Oh, yes. No, don't. I, I love that healthy versus normal thing. Because um, another riff on that is like, um, it, it, this is normal, but is it equitable, right? Like, we've, there's a lot of shit in school that we've been saying it's normal. We're supposed to test everybody. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to give a double math and a double English. We're supposed to line up on a line. But is that is that equitable? Is that is that healthy for those children? Is that supportive of their development? Like, what are we really? Look, when doing? we when we can get when we have the hour and we want to get into it, um, 
Foucault in, in Punish and Discipline highlights beautifully that our educational system was modeled after the prison system in the 1800s. And nothing's changed, bro. They used to, they used to beat a drum and all of the inmates would wake up and they'd beat a second drum and all of the inmates would make their bed and, and put their clothes on. They'd beat a third drum, they'd file out in a single line and walk to the cafeteria, right, where they would eat. You walk into most classrooms today, the teacher rings a bell, the kids understand that they need to pack up their materials. The teacher rings a second bell, the kids push their chairs in. The teacher rings the third bell, the kids line up, and then they walk in a single file line. It's so parallel, right? But we never stop and ask ourselves, why do we do this? Oh, because that's normal, that's what K-12 education is. Yet, if you go to somebody's private schools that are 20 plus thousand, I was watching kids walk from one building to another building outside. There was no line. Kids weren't silent. It was perfectly acceptable and okay. Uh -huh. Right. And so we have to, we have to question those things, right? We have to question, even if we believe it's a good practice because it keeps kids in order and discipline. Is that our goal as educators to keep kids in order and discipline or is our job as educators to create healthy brains and to maximize human potential. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and then, the whole healthy versus normal, dude, it's normal that I eat a bag of chips every night, like a big family size bag. It doesn't mean that it's healthy for me, <laughs> but that's my normal, right? And yeah. so we've got- you have that with your big old little C's pizza on the side. Yeah. Not healthy, <laughs> might be normal. Yeah, so we, we've got to think, we've got to think about that, right? My that's normal cool. is that I eat chips all the time. Is yeah. it healthy for me? No. Yeah. So you gave him a disclaimer, Doc, that uh, he was gonna get in your brain. Uh, we forgot to mention he was going to also maybe get you shame you about your diet you know i feel like with my covid binge eating i'm like this is normal but is it healthy yeah I, i'm really glad this is not a video podcast uh because i may have had to put away the bag of chips i'm just saying uh, <laughs> uh that, i mean that is that is so important for us to keep in our brain all the time I, like to me the word normal should be the new four letter word, right? It should be the new curse word because normal is based on someone else's perception, right? It's not necessarily what is good for kids. It's not what's right for kids. And so I think he points out something that, that really should be a, a litmus test for all of our decisions right. is Am I doing this because it's quote unquote normal or because it's the best thing for kids? Right. And to your point, who, who, who gets to say what's normal, especially right. when we know in general, how poor of a job we do as an educational system, engaging communities and engaging families. Right. How do we get to determine in isolation what normal is, what it looks like, how kids are, you know, how, what is normal behavior without any kind of input onto who this child is, where they're coming from and what they're going through. So I think it's a good reminder. Yeah, and, and we know for a fact that w whatever normal is, isn't doing the trick, right? Whatever, whatever we are calling normal is not providing all kids with equitable access to really strong instruction, to deep engagement and, and, and to learning environments that really allow them to bring them full selves uh, and meet their their own expectations and, and aspirations. So even if it is considered normal, it, it ain't getting the job done. Right, right. And, 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 and you know, what Kyle goes into next is, he gives us, I think, without necessarily um, belaboring the point, 
not only is there a question about around what is normal and is it healthy, but the fact that normal isn't always normal, right? Because he's going to show us some examples of how different schools serving different populations operate. What is normal for black and brown kids isn't always what we consider normal for affluent white kids. And we need to be honest about that. This isn't, this isn't super researched, right? It's mm -hmm. super anecdotal. But I'm looking at four point data points. I'm looking at Providence Public Schools. I'm looking at Blackstone Valley Prep. I'm looking at Barrington Public Schools. And I'm looking at a private school, right? Wheeler or Moses or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My neighbor, their kid goes to a private school. You know what the, the school day now, the social distancing looks like in Barrington and the private school? Hmm. It's a teacher on Zoom with her students for four to six hours a day, teaching lessons, putting them in breakout rooms and having them collaborate and do work. You know what it looks like in Providence and at BVP? Hmm. It's the kids will Zoom with their teacher for 30 minutes to an hour, and then they're doing like, packets of work or work on online programs like Zern or whatever, right? Now, I'm not saying one is good or bad, one's whatever, but when I think about an inequity, you've got all white school and a school where people are paying and the teacher is in front of kids and kids are getting direct instruction, right? You look at two schools that it's predominantly black and brown kids and they're getting 30 minutes to an hour tops, right? Again, I'm not passing judgment, making like one is better than the other. It's just interesting to me how you've got these four data points and really break it down into two, white and paid, black and brown and poor. And they're having these polarizing experiences and they both might be working for them, but it's just interesting yes, how the how expectations they... are different. Yeah, and this is what about... I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you go finish. Th this is what I think is so interesting because again, you've got a lot of white people in positions of power in urban ed that are talking about how we need to have high expectations, but their beliefs of the black and brown people that they're working with are so low that they're not high expectations, right? They're, they're unrealistic expectations masked as high expectations. And what I mean by unrealistic is if a kid's out of uniform color socks, they're getting in trouble. That's not a high expectation. That's nonsense, mm. right? But, but it's high expectations or kindergartners that are, are writing five paragraph essays. That's not even developmentally appropriate. We don't want that. So then you have a bunch of kids in fourth grade that can't write, like physically can't write letters because they didn't have what was developmentally appropriate, appropriate for them at the time because it was really high expectations. Right. Well, think right? about to your point about who has really high expectations. Is it the the school or the teacher who says, talk to me for 30 minutes and then go work on your packet. Or the one who says, I'm going to give you this meaty task and I'm going to group you with three or four of your friends and I want you to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to answer that question. Mm -hmm. I, think I don't think we have it. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, don't, I don't think we, like, that's the mic drop of like, boom, right there. Right. Like, what would you want? What would you want for your kids? Because again, there may be value in that 30 minute to an hour check-in to make sure that the people are okay. And then we're saying right now, we're not prioritizing academics because right now that's not what's important. And so there may be value if that is the actual messaging of it. But if the messaging of it is that you still need to complete six hours of work, but it's, it's basically busy work, right? That's very different than saying you need to complete six hours of work. And here's a level of support to help you cognitively struggle through that 
but know that we're here to help you. What is attachment? Attachment's not just liking someone. Attachment's knowing that you can go take risks and that you can come back to them if you fail, right? Like attachment is being able to say, I can go and explore the world. And when the world slaps me on my ass, I can come right back to you and I know you're gonna be there to catch me. That's attachment. When you think about this teaching, go explore the content. And if it becomes too much for you, know that I'm right here for you. It's very different than complete this online assignment or whatever, right? Like, so I just think that, I think we need to see that. We need to challenge people in their beliefs of what high expectations are. And we need to question their unconscious bias as to whether or not that's allowing them to actually have high expectations for the mm. people that they're talking about. Man, that, that really resonates, Jonathan, with, mm. with some things that we've been talking about already. Um, you know, high expectations, normal, like, like these, these are defined by whom, right? Uh, right? And, and so, man, uh, Kyle just continues to, to tackle these one, one after the other. Um, speaking of tackling, you and I were, were having a conversation earlier hmm. that, that, I, that makes me think um, about the NFL and how how they have responded once they recognized how their sport was creating trauma for their own players like and we're talking physical trauma right 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 yeah tell me share a little bit like you share with me yeah i think that's just a super interesting analogy well you know it's like the nfl realized because people raised their voices that players were encountering or uh suffering a lot of head trauma and that trauma uh, altered the way people thought, the way that they lived their lives afterwards. And from that pressure, right? Not this is not the goodness of their hearts, but from that pressure, they've changed the way they've operated in a, in a multitude of ways. They have concussion protocols. They've got new helmets. And I don't think that's the end of the changes. I mm -hmm. think on the flip side, we in education, the body of research on how trauma impacts our kids' brains, non-physical trauma, but trauma nonetheless, it's, a, it's not an insignificant amount. And yet, for the most part, we are operating the same way as we always have. And so my, I think what Kyle's doing and what other educators like him are doing, they're raising the clarion call. And hopefully more of us can join them to put the pressure for us to do something different. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. It, you know, the, the NFL is responding to the trauma that they know that, that their people are experiencing. And, and I don't know that as, as an industry, those of us in education are responding as quickly despite the fact that we have mountains more evidence. <laughs> right, and the, and the analogy doesn't end there because the, the other part of this is that not all the, the physical trauma these men encounter happens in the NFL. A lot of it happened in Pee Wee, happened in high school, happened in college. So, but they have recognized depression. So we, we what, what, wherever it started, the buck stops with us. I think that's important, right? Absolutely. Not all trauma kids have encountered happens in school. Some of it does but not all of it, but we have to, as the educators have to say, the buck stops with us while they're here. We're going to build, like Kyle said, those healthy relationships that they need, the healthy attachment to help them heal and pivot. And we don't know what kids experiences have been during COVID. And so we have to assume that there has been some additional trauma and Kyle's now going to talk to us about what are our next steps in mitigating that trauma for kids. The science, pandemic or non-pandemic, is the same, right? In terms of what happens to a child's brain 
um, that leads to a lot of disruption, but also in terms of how you support in healing that brain, right? And so what makes this time so unique and different from say, just like the traditional summer vacation when kids have two months off or uh, holiday vacations where kids have two and three weeks off, what makes this one so unique and interesting is that at its very core, for the kids that are experiencing a lot of trauma or toxic stress, the antidote for that comes in the form of therapeutic relationships and love. So for that child that um, is struggling at home for a number of different reasons, but they're in school and they have that fostering relationship or the child that's struggling at home and it's summer vacation and they can escape to a friend's house where their parents take good care of them or they can escape somewhere. But basically at its core, it's that human connection that supports kids in overcoming and developing resiliency, right? And so even things like, like serve and return, we do this a lot with infants and babies. When they look at you with that smile and give you like the oohs and ahs, and then we respond with a smile and we do the baby talk, that serve and return interaction actually promotes a lot of healing and like the pathways to resilience in a child's brain. That doesn't change as people get older, that doesn't change as, as we become adults, right? If we were to be having a conversation and you're serving up a lot of good stuff and I'm just like dismissive of it or I'm not looking at you, it, it casts a void between what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And so the biggest thing that we need to remember is whether or not the pandemic is, is creating a lot of trauma in a child's life the science is going to be the same when they come back to school what the children originally need is to be seen as people right we get caught up in this hype of high expectations high stakes testing where we subject kids to being no greater than their output on a, an academic test right and when we try to create kids that have good academic attainment when we try to create kids that are socially accepted. And when we try to create kids that behave quote unquote optimally, we actually strip away and lose the organic development of their brain. When we try to create kids that are good human beings and we maximize their potential, then the outcome of that is academic attainment, social acceptability and positive behavior. So when our kids come back into school, I would ask and argue that there should be a paradigm shift in what education looks like. We currently operate where we try to get academic attainment and therefore we start with curriculum and embed everything around that. I would actually push on start with healthy brain development and what the science tells us. When a child's brain is stressed, they can't learn. When a child's brain is going through that healing process because they feel safe. And let me clarify safe. What I mean by safety is not just the absence of physical threat. What I mean by safety is a deep, powerful human connection with someone else that supports them, right? And so your average American household doesn't have a ton of threat, right? It's not like we're living in the middle of a war where there's bombs and grenades and everything flying around us. So it's not, it's, it's not that that infant child or the two-year-old or three-year-old or five-year-old child 
is usually exposed to tremendous threat. What I mean by that is when that child cries, when that child shows signs of being vulnerable or high emotional intensity, they need a hug, they need love, they need compassion and empathy. Pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, doesn't matter, right? The science and intervention is the same. You know, what it comes down to is, what is the motivation that is driving our correction of the behavior or our addressing mm -hmm. of the behavior, right? Like, I want you to behave, doc, because I want an orderly room. Uh, I don't know. That doesn't feel right. But if yeah. it's like, yeah. I, I want to kind of like encourage you in a, in a more productive behavior because I think it'll help you succeed. It'll help you excel. It'll help you demonstrate what you can do. That really like it's pivoting or it's, 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 um, it's working through the relationship we have it's because i care about you right and i think yeah. that feels a lot differently as a kid i feel one feels like support and one feels like control that makes yeah. sense I, it absolutely makes sense and i think when when teachers exercise the, the enormous power that they have in their own classrooms we have to ask ourselves this is in service of what if this is in service of having a quiet room that is not necessarily in service of providing kids what they need to achieve and to, and to, to, to um, meet the high expectations that they have for themselves. So that absolutely makes sense to me and should be part of any sort of teacher preparation protocol is yes, we have, we have these, these tools and techniques and strategies that we teach teachers to use, but if we teach those agnostic of, well, what is the true intent and impact of that technique? And, and if the impact is it makes kids feel unwelcome, it makes kids feel like they're being controlled, then that's absolutely counterintuitive to what we're trying to do. Because mm -hmm. as, as Kyle shared with us, like that, that's gonna close the learning pathway. That's gonna prevent that attachment with the teacher as a, as a supportive, player hmm. i think that's absolutely critical it is it is and I, I and i think the flip side of that or the 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 the, the complement to that is if we want teachers to be the adult that kids can look to and count on for a healthy you know attachment a productive relationship then we need adults to be healthy as well and so, so the question is really like what can teachers do so that they feel healthy, they feel whole, so they can do the work that needs to be done. The most important things that teachers can do is a couple of things. One, they need to recognize that how they're feeling is healthy and normal during abnormal times, right? And not judge themselves or not feel like they need to, they need to do everything for the kids at the expense of themselves, right? And so the whole, like when you're on an airplane, put your mask on before the kids. It's not, it's not a selfish thing to say, I care more about myself than anybody else. It's that if I literally don't get the oxygen in my body, I'm helpless to everybody else. And so I think it's important that they're prioritizing their care through either their own therapy, things like regular yoga, meditation, or connecting in a spiritual way. And by connecting in a spiritual way, I don't necessarily mean like religion, but just connecting with something that is deeper and bigger than themselves. I think allowing themselves to feel the sadness and to explore that. So instead of suppressing and repressing and shutting it down, 
explore what is it that's making me sad right now because it's through that curious compassionate exploration of their true emotions that they can heal and be in a place to provide for other people i think it's understanding that neuroscientists are now proving that emotions and feelings are not the same thing and we've used them interchangeably for a long time our brains when we're at moments of stress or moments of, of pure like euphoria have these intense primal emotions and if we don't associate a feeling to go with that then our brain can't make sense of it which means that our brain is then looking for answers and they might be looking for answers in all the wrong places and to give like just a couple examples of how feelings and emotions might not be the same thing the same way that we have these physical needs that we don't always feel like I might need to eat, but I might not feel that I'm hungry until I take that first bite and realize that I was starving. I might be physically exhausted, but not feel how tired I am until I actually lay down. So just because we're experiencing something doesn't mean we feel it. And the only way that we can properly heal and get to a place of being better equipped to serve anybody else is if we feel the emotions and experiences that we're having. And so instead of seeing sadness as a bad thing, understand that it is through that sadness that we'll overcome this. There it is, Doc. Um, you know, he, well, he did exactly what you, you advertised, right? He gave us yeah. something to think about. He hit us right in the head and in the heart, right? Yeah. Like we talk about emotions. Sometimes can, school can feel divorced from emotion. We don't have time for tears. We don't have time for that. We've got work to do. Every minute counts. And you know, I'm all for There's no crying in baseball, right? right yeah. No <laughs> crying in baseball, right? I always look at Jesse Ventura. I ain't got time to bleed. Um, I think that stuff is, has its place. Mm -hmm. But um, when we do it at the expense of real human emotion, yep. then we're not whole and we're not allowing our kids to be whole. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, that's that's where i'm sitting is it, we keep coming back to like normal and who has high expectations and who defines those and then you go well, well who defined that that there's no crying in baseball there's no you know that the emotion doesn't have a place you know it emotion is absolutely tied to the way human beings think hmm. and so if we if we say that doesn't have a place in schools we're crippling ourselves and our kids to deal with the brain that's in our head, right? right? And so that just such a powerful uh, connection there. And it's a push to be uncomfortable, right? If you have to live through the sadness in order to understand it and use it, I mean, that's something we've been trained to avoid. And, and, and I think what Kyle pushes us to, to see is that experience is an opportunity to build, to, to be stronger. Right. You know, there's honesty and vulnerability in that. And I think those are things that we, um, those are emotions and feelings we should get used to. And I think that's a big part of our show and, yeah. and how we, um, how we select our guests, you know, so really yeah. willing to thank Kyle, you know, for being part of the, this episode and being a member of the board. Um, and also want to just like, look forward to, to next week, right? Where that's what we want to do every week. You know, yes. we want to be honest, you know, we want to get voices who are going to be honest with us, encourage us to be vulnerable and to be brave. Uh, because that's what this work requires of us. It's what we, it requires of us if we're going to truly educate our kids uh, for the future. And it is what our kids deserve. 
right? So um, if uh, you if you're if this is the first episode you're listening to, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out at theboardofed.com. That's the b o r e d of ed.com. You can also check us out on Facebook, the Board of Ed, or on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore Board of Ed. That's the underscore B O R E D of Ed, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, next episode, we will continue, as Jonathan said, to bring you diverse voices on uh, some diverse topics. Jonathan, leave us with some thoughts. You know, I had a, an awesome conversation earlier this week with Dr. April Warren Grice, totally unrelated to the podcast. Um, but at the end, she, oh man, she, the way she, sent me off into the rest of my day was, is, was wonderful. You know, she said something to the effect of um, what I'm about to say. And I, I just love it so much. I want to make it a part of our repertoire, you know, to all our, our listeners, to all our board members. If no one said it for you today, I want you to know that we appreciate you. Doc and I know what it's like to be in the classroom. We know what it's like to be in school leadership and in district leadership. It's hard, sometimes thankless and often lonely. But the work you do is critical. It is a building block of any nation, is the education of our kids. And so we salute you, we thank you, and we hope that you stick with us for the rest of this journey. Thank you very much. See us next time on the Board of Ed. Stay bored. Yeah. Yeah.